You're listening to Catholic Faith on the Move podcast, a journey on the road to heaven. On our episode today, we will discuss Pierced by a Sword by Bud McFarlane. We're going to go on a pilgrimage to a place that everyone can go to. And we're going to learn about a great missionary saint, St. Catherine Drexel. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle on us the fire of your love. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, Behold, this child is set for the ruin and for the resurrection of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be contradicted. And thy own soul a sword shall pierce, that out of many hearts thoughts may be revealed. Luke 2, 34-35. For our first book, we chose Pierced by a Sword by Bud McFarland and it's interesting because this is kind of one of the first books that put our faith journey on the move. Absolutely. And just like uh, the author himself starts off the introduction, he says, so enjoy the ride. Trust me. I drive fast, but I know where I'm going. <laughs> and uh, it's really true. Uh, it is driving fast within the first 100 pages Bud McFarlane introduces us to the major characters and this um, imaginative apocalyptic journey. And we learn so much about our Catholic faith. It's just jam-packed. It is. It's full of stuff. And I think that what made it really accessible for for someone like me who uh, appreciates good fiction books, but I'm not a real big fan of nonfiction, it was a way to introduce a lot of different um, as- aspects of the Catholic sacramental life um, with the in a fiction setting rather than through nonfiction, which made it you know more accessible, more palatable, and, and an easier read uh, for someone like me. So I think that that's one of the key things that the book has going for it. Really, is that it's an accessible read. It's um, engaging and entertaining, and um, it does take you on a pretty wild ride, especially when you get through the rest of the series. Um, but that's what made it really accessible for me was that it was all the Catholic sacramentals, all the Catholic Catholic devotions, all that stuff all wrapped up in a, in a great story that was being told at the same time. And what's interesting is probably about 10 years ago when we started our book club, many of us read this book and we were quite surprised by these characters and we kind of were feeling who does this? Who goes to daily mass? Who prays for their friends right away? Who talks about Mary all the time and uh, gets inspired? And we just felt, well, who does that? And now I think we look back and we're like, that's us. <laughs> that's us now. It's It was really weird. When we do, I remember when we read it, you know, those, those many years ago, it was just like, these people are nuts. They're like, these are like super Catholics, you know, what, what's going on with them? They're like so involved with everything and, and, and doing adoration and doing all this. And it was just like at that time, you know, we were, we were Sunday church going Catholics and that was about it. we had started this book club just to kind of, you know, we, we like to read and there's a group of us at our church that like to read. So we decided we'd read good Catholic books instead of, you know, 
thrillers all the time or whatever it might be. And that was the, that was the thing that hit us when we read it and we, we got introduced to these characters, um, and how devoted they were to the faith and, and to Christ through the faith and to find that, uh, 10 years later, most of us that read that book are doing all the things that those people in the, in the book were doing. And it's kind of crazy when you look back. And just like the characters in the book, we're not perfect. And we all have our little things and our special devotions and our little imperfections. And I like to quote one of the characters in the book, especially even then when they were looking at the priest, she said that she was somewhat shocked to see a priest act like a normal person. And so I think that that's kind of how we feel is that the things that we do today are normal. It's not something out of the ordinary that we're doing each day. It's just part of our day. It's part of who we are now. Yeah, it's part of the part of the faith life that we have and part of our journey that, that we're on. And to be able to incorporate, you know, the things that we that we saw in that book and those examples that these fictional characters gave um, and be able to use those things in our, our lives, you know, now, um, it's it's pretty special, you know. And like you said, we're not... You know, we're not all perfect and we're not, you know, I still haven't graduated at the daily mass part that some of those people were doing in the book, but you know, we've picked up those things and, and fit them into our lives wherever we could. And, um, to be able to see that in an example that, that works, you know, from a fiction standpoint, but still introduce us to that, I think was a great idea. Yeah. Some of the topics that you get introduced to just very naturally through what the characters do and say, um, are the uh, use of the miraculous metal, um, Our Lady of Lords, various Marian apparitions at Fatima, St. Faustina, uh, quotes by St. Thomas Aquinas. Mm-hmm. Um, also, one of the characters runs a Colby Foundation, so he tells the story about Maximilian Colby. Right. And also, you hear about each time they introduce those, they tell a nice little synopsis of what that entails for our faith. Absolutely right. And that's, I think that's what makes it, you know, an accessible read is that you get, you get a little bit of the, the reality behind the devotion or the sacramental that they're involved with and, and why they've uh, chosen to be a part of that. And you get the history behind like someone like St. Maximilian Kolbe. Um, and so you get that whole background, plus you get the, the idea of, you know, these people are doing this every day and, and how their lives grow and how their lives change as a result. And I like how he works in part of uh, Bud McFarland's ministry through the Catholic Foundation. Mary Foundation. The Mary Foundation yeah. is that he puts out these CDs and for inexpensive and they get passed around and i find that that's one of my ministries is getting these cds and passing those out and one of those characters does that and so it introduces a lot of people to um a lot of the different topics on catholicism and also during in the book and one of the conversations is one person is learning about their faith it goes through and introduces the rosary and that becomes a big part of the story, the right. rosary. 
Yep. And that's and the the CDs that you can get from the Mary Foundation. This isn't an ad for them, but you can get CDs that that have the rosary being prayed on the CD. So it's pretty simple just to plug it into your car. And I think that kind of started us on a journey of, of saying the rosary a lot more often uh, in our own lives as a result of, you know, reading the book, seeing that it can happen and also having the resources available to, you know, to be able to, to do it with more regularity. And the Mary Foundation provides all these resources and lots of different resources, the CDs and books and all kinds of stuff at a very reasonable cost. You can go to their website. It's um, catholicity.com, C-A-T-H-O-L-I-C-I-T-Y.com. Pretty easy to find. Or Google Mary Foundation. You can find them. And um, they've got a lot of great resources. Um, Not only these books, which is a series of three, um, but then all the CDs and, and a lot of different things that really help you on your faith life and help you grow in your journey uh, towards heaven. One of the things that we picked up out of the book and, and as we were looking back at it again to, uh, to review it for the show, um, one of the lines that uh, the priest um, said in the, in the book is it really strikes home too. And it really kind of gets to the whole point of it. Uh, He says, being a Catholic doesn't mean going to Africa to be a missionary. All you have to do is live a sacramental life. That means going to confession often, frequent communion, and praying every day. It's not hard. It's a joy. Through the sacraments, Jesus is able to live inside you, to guide you, to help you through the good times and the bad. It's like being married, you know, for better or for worse. As a matter of fact, the church has always used the bond of marriage as a metaphor for Christ's love for his church. You're not out there all alone anymore. So check out the website, Mary Foundation, and pick up a copy of Pierced by the Sword by Bud McFarlane. Well, on every episode, we're going to try to take everybody to a, a place for a pilgrimage. And we decided on our first episode that we're going to take everyone on a pilgrimage that they can go to wherever they're at. And that's a pilgrimage to their Eucharistic Adoration Chapel for adoration of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Now, a little bit of history for you. Reservation of the Eucharist um, began as far back as the Council of Nicaea in 325. And it was mostly reserved for the sick or the dying um, so that if there was a need to take uh, communion to someone who was ill, uh, they had a reserved uh, host to do that with. So that started many, many moons ago in 325 A.D., um, and there was, in the 11th century, there was like this Eucharistic Renaissance. Um, Pope Gregory VII uh, stomped out a heresy that had been started um, from a bishop who felt that perhaps Christ wasn't, really wasn't truly present in the Eucharist. But uh, Pope Gregory VII said, yeah, no, that's not the way it is, and uh, stomped that out. But as a result of that, there was a, a huge Renaissance for um, a, a love for and a, res- and a respect and and adoration of the Eucharist. Then in the 13th century, uh, Pope Urban uh, IV instituted the Feast of Corpus Christi, and this was kind of like the big turning point in the whole Eucharist and adoration kind of thing. He commissioned Thomas Aquinas, you know, pretty smart guy, to write uh, three hymns for the Feast of Corpus Christi, and if any of you have gone to uh, adoration, you've probably heard at least two of these, if not all three, uh, and they are the Osaiataris Hostia, the Tantum Ergo, and Panis Angelicus, and he composed those at the request of Pope Urban IV, 
um, for the Feast of Corpus Christi um, to venerate and adore the body and blood of Christ. Uh, in the 1600s, the, the whole 40 hours adoration thing started, and uh, you may have heard of, of 40 hours adoration. And that's really when that started up was in the 1600s. Uh, it kind of gave adoration a little bit of a structure and a little bit of a formal kind of a, a feel to it. Um, and then from that came perpetual adoration and holy hours and on and on and on up to present day. So that's kind of where we're at with how adoration began and where it's at today. What's exciting, we're experiencing our, our own little increase in adoration now. I'm seeing it more and more in our area, and hopefully you're seeing it in your area too, that uh, parishes that had adoration are increasing that to perpetual adoration, and those that haven't had it are now introducing it. So it's really exciting. And one of the things is, if you're not familiar with adoration, you may be wondering, what am I going to do when I go there? Well, there's a story about St. John Vianney, and he was a 19th century French priest. And one time he went into his church and he noticed a uh, peasant was there. And he would stay in front of the Blessed Sacrament for hours. And the saint asked the man, what do you say during that time before Jesus and the Eucharist? And the peasant replied, nothing i look at him and he looks at me and i think that's what we all kind of strive for is that connection that amazing connection with the blessed sacrament that's a that's a great connection and a great way to do it and that's and that's something that you know a lot of people you know may be a little hesitant to participate in adoration because they're not sure you know what to do or how to act or or you know what goes on at, at an adoration or if I spend my hour with the Lord, what, what should I do or what can I do? Or, um, you know, and that may be putting people off. So got any tips for folks? Well, I know we've been doing adoration going on almost 10 years and which is quite amazing. I know that when we first started, it was, it, it is a commitment to, uh, sign up for a time but you don't have to make sure that you don't have to have a specific hour you can join in at any time for any amount of time and i know that sometimes i will do that too if i'm in the church and their adoration is going on i'll often just stop in for a little bit pay a little visit right stop in and say hi to jesus it's always a good thing but when we go for our typical hour i usually have some prayers um, I say a rosary or a divine mercy, and I typically carry along some spiritual reading, a book that I'm looking at. And most chapels will have some material there also. And that's a, that's the thing that, um, was something that, you know, I had to learn and, and be comfortable with too, was that, you know, it's okay to, to read, you know, to take your eyes off the sacrament. Um, especially if you're doing some spiritual reading, and, and I do the same thing. I usually spend about half my time reading, um, and we're lucky enough to have several books in, in a kind of a library situation in our chapel, so uh, each time I go in, I pick up something different. I just let the Spirit call me on to, you know, something's going to jump off the shelf at me, and I, and I pick it up and, and read it. 
But that's something, you know, like I said, you got to get used to. You know, when I first went to adoration, I thought, I just have to stare at the sacrament the whole time. I can't do anything. You know, uh, this is God. I got to look at God the whole time. But, you know, that's not really the case. You know, if you're if you're doing spiritual reading and, and learning more about the faith and learning more about Christ and his love for us and what he did for us, that's perfectly fine. Um, you know, if you, you know, if you want to spend the time saying a rosary, which I usually work in a rosary uh, at the same time, that's great too. If you just want to sit there and offer up your your struggles and, and what you've got going on in your life to God and, and ask him to help you, that's fine too. So um, the, the beauty of adoration is, is that there's many forms that your, your adoration of Christ can take in that, in that sacrament. Yeah, I do a lot of talking to Jesus in that time and uh, as you were talking, I was thinking some of the interesting and most touching moments is when I've been in adoration and families come in with their little kids. And I know that I've seen the parents bring their kids up and explain to them what's going on. And it's very typical at our parish for families to bring their kids in and they may be praying. Uh, sometimes they bring in their little Jesus coloring books and they're writing little notes to God. And it's really special. I mean, that's really touching to see right. that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and it's, uh, there's a lot of fruits that come out of adoration too. And not only personal fruits, but fruits for the entire parish or the diocese or whatever it might be. Um, I know that we started, uh, adoration on a regular basis at our parish in what, 2006, something like that. And, you know, our parish has grown leaps and bounds. We've got, you know, new buildings going on and lots of families coming in. And so the growth there is huge. And it all started after we, we began adoration. Um, so that's one thing. And I, uh, we had a seminarian friend of ours that told us that in his diocese, they had a new bishop come in and they, he really pushed adoration uh, across the diocese. And at the time he came in, they had three seminarians in formation and at the time this seminary talked to us, which is a couple of years after the adoration push had started in the diocese, they had 13 or 15 seminarians in formation. So the fruits are there from adoration. It's, it's an amazing, amazing thing. And uh, if you're worried about if you're doing it right, I loved in a book that I recently read with uh, Pope Francis, he said that what I really prefer is adoration in the evening when I get distracted and think of other things or even fall asleep praying in the evening, then between seven and eight o'clock, I stay in front of the blessed sacrament for an hour in adoration. And he goes on to talk about how important it is, but it's great to think even the Pope gets distracted. And I think that that's, that's good for us to hear is that you're not going to, it's not going to be perfection. Right. Right, right. And that's that's the beauty of it is that, you know, you go into adoration and and you're just in the presence of God. And, you know, if your mind wanders, your mind wanders. You know, if you nod off, you nod off. But you're still in the presence of God and you're, you're receiving that grace. And, and just to be in that space with him is it's just an amazing experience. Absolutely amazing. So if you want to start off, maybe 10 minutes, stop in and spend a little time with Jesus and 
And then if you find it's something for you, then you can become a regular adorer. That's right. And, and it's, uh, you know, your, your parish may or may not have specific adoration time set up. There may or may not be something in a nearby parish. Um, but you can also spend time in front of the Lord when he's reserved in the tabernacle. So just go into the church proper. If there's not a mass going on, go in there and sit in the front pew, not the back pew like we're used to as Catholics, but in the front pew. And do the same thing. You spend time with God, say your prayers. And um, so you can, like we said, we, this is something that anyone can do. This is a pilgrimage anyone can do anywhere. And even if you can't get to church, if you've got a computer or a cell phone and you've got a connection, there is online perpetual adoration. Uh, it's The website is savior.org slash devotions. And what it is, it's a live webcam at the Chapel of Divine Love. And it's by the Holy Spirit Adoration Sisters who have had perpetual adoration in Philadelphia since 1916. But their webcam is live on the Blessed Sacrament in a gorgeous monstrance. So even at home, you can go to Eucharistic Adoration and it fits for everybody. On the journey to heaven, it's always good to have someone help you along the way. And what better help can you get than someone who's already in heaven? So we'll talk about a saint or two in the show. And today we're going to talk about St. Catherine Drexel. She was born in 1858. She was the second child of an investment banker. His name was Francis Anthony Drexel. And her mother died shortly after she was born. Her father did remarry. Now, he was a philanthropist. They, he gave a lot of money to a lot of different organizations, so she got grounded in that right away. Um, but they were uh, very wealthy. And in 1884, the family had taken a trip out west and stopped at the Rosebud uh, Indian Reservation in South Dakota. And as a result of that, they uh, contributed to the St. Francis Mission that was at that um, reservation. And actually, we've been to that reservation when we drove out west many, many moons ago. Uh, we went through that reservation as we were driving through South Dakota. So just kind of a weird little coincidence, I suppose. Anyway, so um, so she had, uh, after her father died a year after that in 1885, um, she contributed to this mission and she had some spiritual direction from a, a father O'Connor who um, later became Bishop in Nebraska. And she wrote to him and said that she was uh, interested in joining a contemplative order. And the Bishop suggested that, you know, you should maybe wait a little longer and pray about it some more. And, and maybe that's not the right path for you. Well, in uh, 1886, uh, she and her sisters went to Europe. And as a part of that trip to Europe, uh, they visited Pope Leo and uh, they went to ask him for help with their uh, work with the Indian missions out west in um, the United States for the Native Americans who were on the reservations and try to support them. And uh, they asked specifically also for some missionaries to go out there to help to serve the Native American populations. And uh, Pope Leo XIII said, maybe, Catherine, you should become a missionary yourself, which was kind of stunning. I mean, she was only worth part of $400 million as an inheritance. So um, that's a big jump to go from heiress to missionary. So in 1891, uh, Drexel professed her first vows, um, dedicating herself to work with the American Indians and African Americans. And she took the name Mother 
mother Catherine and joined by 13 other women, they started their mission to help those in mostly in the West Southwest area. And she continued on and in all, she established 50 missions for the Native Americans in 16 different states. And then she went on to also work for justice for the African-Americans. And most notably, she started Xavier University in New Orleans. Wasn't that, that was the, uh, that was the first Catholic institution of higher learning for uh, directly for um, African-American people. So that's what made it really notable. Um, and she and her sisters of the Blessed Sacrament were the, uh, were the, um, the order that were doing all this teaching in, in the Native American and, and African-American populations in the South and in the West. And a uh, very strong, very strong group of sisters. Yes, that was in 1915. And then she continued on to Texas. And there's an interesting story where the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament were operating a school there. And actually, they came up against the Ku Klux Klan. And they actually posted on their door, we want an end of the services here, suppress it in one week, or flogging with tar and feathers will follow. Well, <laughs> don't mess with the sisters. Uh, a few days later, a violent thunderstorm ripped through Beaumont and destroyed the local Klan headquarters. And then the segregationists uh, kind of let them go there. Yeah. But the <laughs> harassment did continue as she went on through. But she did, um, her and her order did help establish 40 missions and 23 schools in 13 different states. So she really did a lot to help the African-Americans and the Native Americans in our country. What's interesting, too, is that, you know, initially she'd wanted to become a uh, contemplative uh, religious, um, but, you know, she ended up being a, a pretty hard work and energetic religious instead. Um, until the end of her life, she had suffered a heart attack and her health was poor. And um, at that time, she um, stepped down as mother um, of the order and then began, um, interestingly enough, a devotion to Eucharistic adoration at the end of her life. So, um, it kind of fits in with the whole theme that we've got going on here today in the episode. Uh, she was uh, named a saint by uh, Saint Pope John II at uh, John Paul II in 2000. Um, and if you want to learn more about her, you can visit the um, Saint Catherine Drexel Mission Center and National Shrine in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania. So, a great saint to help us on our road. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. We'll, we'll see you on the road. Check out our blog and other information, including links to our Facebook and Twitter pages at our website, catholicfaithonthemove.com, or send us an email at catholicfaithonthemove at gmail.com.